Father God, we again thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to worship freely, Lord, to praise you and the reminder that you are with us, that you are great and good. I pray, Lord, that through today's sermon, Lord, the power of the Spirit is felt, Lord. I pray that you give me a word for these people in this time and in this moment. Amen. You can read it. Tension, a good plot twist, sitting on the edge of your seat to find out what happens next, and a good book or a movie. Um, since the beginning of COVID, my husband and I have become um, a little bit of, I don't know, we, we like to, what is it, Netflix and chill a lot. Um, and so on evenings, we look very much forward to, after our daughter goes to bed, watching a show. We've rewatched a few things, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think we've watched the most. Um, for a while, through the pandemic, it was like, we can only watch light and funny things. We made the mistake early on in the pandemic of watching the movie Parasite. And then it was just like, nope, light and funny things. But we've slowly, over the last month or two, started like shifting to watching things that are maybe a little, you know, a little heavier, have a little bit of tension. The Lopez's recommended the show Severance to us, and we worked our way through that pretty quickly. And that show, if you haven't watched it, I don't want to give too much away, but there's certainly a tension. It's a little bit of a thriller. It kept us coming back each time we watched it, wondering why did the people in this show choose um, to have sort of a separation between between their work life and their life outside of work. Tension is the key, or it's one of the keys, to building a good story. Of course, we know that experiencing tension in our own lives, though, or tension in the lives of people that we know, isn't some, typically something that we come back for or want more of. But by definition, tension, it stretches us. It does grow us in different ways. And it's a very real part of our everyday lives in large and in small ways. Story through movies, books, even our own stories, it's a part of a way of connecting. We connect over with other people over maybe a shared interest in a show or a book, but also in sharing our own stories. In the context of friendship, it gives us a window into the lives of others. And our own stories are rarely free of tension because with living comes tension. In today's passage from Philippians, we encounter Paul writing about a very real tension that he is experiencing, that between living and dying. The tension of being in prison versus with the Philippians, but even tension that he, in that tension, he tells us that he still rejoices. He is still able to find joy. In Eugene's Peterson, the message, a portion of the passage reads like this. If I had to choose right now, I hardly know which I'd choose. It's a hard choice. The desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. But most days, because of what you are going through, I'm sure that it's better for me to stick it out here. So I plan to be around a while, companion to you as your growth and joy in this life of trusting God continues. You can start looking forward to a great reunion when I come to visit you again. We'll be praising Christ, enjoying each other. 
If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that through the summer, we are journeying, journeying through the book of Philippians. And their sermons over the past couple weeks, both David and Sarah, have challenged us to think through this idea of gospel friendship. It's an idea that we see present in the book of Philippians. We see it here in this passage that I just read. We see that Paul ultimately is choosing and hoping to return to the church in Philippi because of his love and connection with them, but also with Christ. Last week, David encouraged us that in building a deep-spirited, gospel-type friendship, we share with each other. We share a story of God's rescue in our lives. And he also encouraged us to be a little bit, and I'm quoting him here, stupid with each other. He suggested this is a gift that we can give one another by being vulnerable and letting people into our lives. By doing this, we allow ourselves to come closer together as a community. And by doing this, we can also welcome those into our community who may be new. We've had a lot of new visitors to Church of the Cross over the last several weeks. I think each week we've had to add a row or two of seats. Praise be to God. And for those of you who are newer, you may not know that my family and I are new-ish too. We moved to Austin from Phoenix in the end of November. A while back, Peter, our rector who's on sabbatical, he and I were talking about that it can be helpful for me to share stories. In one of my last sermons, I shared a story about a woman named Linda who's been a spiritual mother and mentor to me. And we noticed that in doing that, I'm letting you all know me a little bit better. So in light of that, and in light of David's challenge last week to share a bit about ourselves, I am going to offer a story of God's rescue in my life and also a sort of silly story, one that you can like laugh at me with me about. I will be your guinea pig. If you have not tried this out yet, I know that David's challenge was just last week. I will try it out and you will see that it is okay. I'm not asking any of you to share in front of the entire church. We are simply encouraging you to begin to share maybe one-on-one -on -one stories of how God has rescued you. So I'm going to begin with my story of rescue. And really, in many ways, this is actually a story of my testimony of coming to know the Lord. When I was young, probably seven or eight or so, I began to sense the presence of the Lord in my life. I was not raised in a Christian home. And at seven or eight, I probably could not have articulated to you that this was the Lord present with me. But in adulthood, as I've reflected back on my life and my journey with Christ, it has become so clear that in these moments where I sense this presence, it was absolutely the presence of Jesus with me. I have memories of, I, when I think of it, it's like in a closet in my bedroom and knowing that I wasn't alone, although I often felt very alone in my home. My childhood was not one of stability. It was one of, of chaos and not often very predictable. And I was sort of the black sheep of the family. But in those moments, the Lord was present to me. It was in middle school that I came to articulate my faith and it was also in middle school that God used this very tangible thing in my life to rescue me. He rescued me right as a young child by being present with me in moments where I felt so alone. But also in eighth grade, my best friend invited me to start running. I'd never run before, didn't know anything about it. 
But I said, sure. And interestingly enough, that first season in eighth grade of running was my first time visiting Texas. Um, and I have like these really strong memories of Texas and running cross country in San Antonio. And the Lord continued to use running to rescue me and to save me. It allowed me to be out of the home more where there was a lot of chaos and instability. It allowed me to make connections with people that I might not have made otherwise. It allowed me to go to college and to get away from home, which is something that I desperately needed. And when I reflect on that and this thing that in eighth grade I just said yes to, why not? It's so clear that the Lord's hand was in that. Not only did running kind of rescue me in ways that it kind of got me out of the home, it gave me a pathway to college and helped me pay for college, it also rescued me in friendships and connections that I made, and it also built my faith. I was surrounded in my high school and college career by people who were followers of Jesus, and it's so clear that that's been a huge part of my rescue. And it still is. God is still rescuing me. He's still rescuing all of us, right? We may have big stories of God's rescue, but some of us may also have these stories of God's daily rescue in our lives. And I encourage you to share those stories with each other. It allows us and it calls us to be vulnerable, but that's a part of what we are called to as sisters and brothers in Christ. And now for my silly story. And like I said, feel free to laugh with me if you want to. So a few weeks ago, actually it's probably been a couple months, I was taking my daughter to school. Some of you have heard the story. I think I might have told you like through tears of like laughter. But taking my daughter to school, it's a part of like the normal morning routine. And we were talking on the way there. I think about animals because we talk about animals a lot. And you pull up through the, the drop-off line. Many of you have probably done this. And I pull through the drop-off line like normal, get a little bit away from it. And Keenan, my daughter, says, Mommy, why didn't you drop me off? <laughs> so the point of going through the drop-off line is dropping your child off, if you didn't catch that. I did not drop her off. It was one of those moments of like, oh, I might be doing too much. I might have too many things on my mind. I thought it was hilarious. She did not think it was so funny. <laughs> like, you know, like a normal, like, nine, almost 10-year-old, Mom, how could you forget to drop me off? So thankfully, we were not running late that day, and I was able to pull back around and hoping that the people, like the school staff, weren't like, what are you doing? Um, I shared this kind of publicly on social media because I think sometimes, too, we need these like reminders that, like, first of all, hey, if you need like to laugh today, laugh at my expense, please. But also sometimes we need these reminders that, like, we're all just like making it, just barely some days. Um, thank goodness, right, for Christ's presence, even in those moments. So I encourage you all, like, to share stories like that with one another, to let people in. When we share those stories, we are really offering a piece of ourselves to others. And in through his letter writing, Paul is offering himself in vulnerability to the church in Philippi, but also to us. We get to read these letters today and reflect and think about how they apply to us and to who we are. We don't often write letters anymore, but I think still it just has this real feeling of intimacy, the idea that Paul, from prison, wrote this letter to these people. All through his letter, we hear this deep sense of joy and affection that he has to the people he is writing to, and also the love and the affection that he has for Christ. And in today's reading, 
he shifts a bit and it becomes even more personal than what we've maybe heard in previous sections from Philippians. He is reflecting on his present imprisonment and what will come next. It feels as if we're hearing his innermost thoughts about his own impending death at the hands of the Roman authorities. He's in this liminal space, the already but not yet. It is a place of real tension for Paul. And he assumes that he will be released from prison, reunited with the very people that he is writing this letter to, but he also considers the possibility of his execution. And this causes him to think in depth about living versus dying. He writes that he is pressed in between the two, life and death. This condition of in-betweenness, of liminality, it is a reality for many, especially people who are subjugated, they are alive, but the threat of death from the empire, it is imminent. Paul and the Philippians, they were a colonized people living under the rule of the Roman Empire. And Paul is imprisoned by the Romans, but also the city of Philippi is a part of the Roman colony. So they share in this experience. Paul is in prison. The people in Philippi are an oppressed people. Even if you have not personally experienced what it is to live under the rule of empire, most of us have likely experienced this in-betweenness at some point in our life. We've experienced some type of tension or living in a liminal space. We are all living in the already but not yet. We sang today that heaven and earth are not yet one, and that is true for all of us. And we feel and experience that tension in very real ways, in personal ways, in ways as a church, and in larger ways, too. We live in a world in which we are all experiencing this, and we can relate to this. We live in a world in which, in our own state earlier this week, there was a shooting at a Korean-owned salon that is now being connected to other hate crimes motivated by Asian hate towards Asians. We live in a world where as of 5.42 this morning, 10 people have lost their lives at the hands of an individual who identifies as a white supremacist. Lord, have mercy on us. We live in real tension. And even if these things that have happened over the last week and are ongoing do not directly affect you, and the truth is that these things don't directly affect most of this congregation, our call as followers of Jesus is to sit and live in that tension and to ask, what are we to do next? What is a gospel response to the things that are happening around us? For those of you in this congregation that this does directly affect, this word, it is for you too. It is for those, too, who are living in the margins. I think it has an especially important word for you, the reminder that Jesus is with us. We know that Paul is writing this letter to a people who are experiencing real oppression. And so if you are experiencing oppression, if you are grieving today, if you are experiencing fear because of these stories that we are hearing, know that God sees you. God is with you. He is lamenting with you. And the world is not as it should be. We are living in the already, but the not yet. 
And Paul's message is one that desires for us to know and sense the unity that Christ has for us. He is not telling us that this suffering, that the pain, that the violence we see around us is okay and we should just suck it up. I have heard that before from people. That is not the truth. But he is telling us that Christ is near and with us in the face of suffering. Dr. King said that true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. And so part of our call, a part of what we are called to, is not just to help our sisters and brothers sense less tension, but to ask, how can we bring justice? How can we be be bringers of peace to those who are experiencing injustice? Listen to the stories of your brothers and sisters who are lamenting, who might be afraid. Stand up for them. The tension may be to, the temptation may be when there is tension happening to walk away, to not pay attention to it, to just wait for the next big news story to come. But what if we as a community sit in some of this tension and pain with others? What if we help to pursue justice? What if we stand in solidarity? Just as Paul is standing in solidarity with the church in Philippi, we hear that that despite that even though he is wanting to escape, in a sense, he is longing to be united with Jesus in heaven, he is choosing, he is hoping that he can be reunited with the Philippians and that together they can glorify Christ and move forward and suffer for Christ's sake. As Paul reflects we do get to rest in the assurance that regardless of what happens, we can continue in our pursuit of Christ, participating in Christ's sufferings and serving him in the gospel. He articulates that if he is executed, he will have finally gained Christ and that death is ultimately gaining his lifelong passion, which is life with Christ who rescued him. Paul doesn't want to die in the sense that we might think of it, nor is he saying that he is done with trials and tribulations, but he is recognizing that while life and flesh is uncertain, life with Christ is certain. And it is. Life with Christ is certain. But we are called to continue in trials and tribulations together as a community, not expecting certain people to bear more of the load or the burden. And as we continue in Philippians, one of the things that we have talked about as a staff is that we will look for encouragement from Paul in his letter. We will listen, and this might require a little bit of a different type of listening because encouragement comes in different ways, but we will pause and hear what is it that Paul is asking us to even build up courage for and toward. And I think in today's passage, we hear a couple things that Paul is encouraging us in. And two things that apply well to our everyday lives and things we may be experiencing, but also things that apply to this idea of what it is to pursue justice for others, things that allow us to do that. Paul is encouraging us to remain focused on Christ, on the centrality of Christ and who he is in our everyday lives. And he is also encouraging us here to live a life that is reflective of the gospel and our friendships in a lot, how we welcome the stranger, how we think about our vocation, how we love our enemies. How are we reflecting the gospel? 
When we think of this idea of Christ at the center, it is easy to see, I think, through Paul's letters that Christ is a big deal to him. Christ is the one who saved Paul. For, because of Christ, Paul has deemed all past trophies and treasures as rubbish. He tells us that Christ exemplifies both the mind believers are to have and the general pattern we are to live. And so what if, as we are knowing new people, meeting new people, hearing and sharing their stories, we remember that, that we are to have the mind of Christ, and we are to live in a pattern that follows him, knowing that that may bring conflict for us. It may bring tension or discomfort for us. Paul is confident that through Christ's provision and the prayers of the church of the people in Philippi, everything that Christ wants to happen through him will be done. And we get to live with that confidence as well through the prayers of each other, of this community of others. What Christ wants to happen through us, it can be done. It's important to note, too, though, that Paul's kind of positive spin on the Philippian suffering, it does not condone suffering of all kind. And it also does not attribute it to being God's will for us and for others. Paul attributes Christ with the significance of all living, and that is true for us, too. He is pointing us toward that reminder that we are living for Christ and are to glorify him in all that we do. However surprising Paul's talk about this tension living and death is, it can even feel a little flippant, I think, when we read it and don't meditate on it deeply. However surprising it is, it is a reminder of Christ's power over life and over death, over light and darkness, over good and evil, Christ is present with us. This is a good word for us, friends. It's simple yet complex. The reminder that Christ is at the center. He's at the center when things are great and when things are really hard. And secondly, this idea that we are to live a life that is reflective of the gospel. Paul is calling us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, that reflects the gospel in all that we do, so that people know by seeing what we are doing and how we are behaving that we love Jesus, even if they can't articulate it. They see that, and they can sense the presence of the Spirit through us. We must conduct ourselves, friends, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not as citizens of Austin or the United States, but remember that we are different. If we are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the ways in which we behave and respond and act and do things, it will look different than what many are used to, and it will cause them to notice. And so that is where, when hard things are happening around us, we are called to do something that may look different and might draw attention to us. It might cause people to call us names or criticize us. But if we are doing it because we are centered in Christ and walking in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, then Christ is our protection in that. Paul's encouragement to us 
is to recall our roles as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We may have forgotten it. It is easy to forget. It is easy to get wrapped up in the everyday and in our individual lives and the powers and the principalities. But the reminder from Paul is that we are to remember that we are not bowing down to Caesar or to whatever ruler or leader we may succumb to today, but we are bowing down to Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are to stand firm, trusting that suffering for the sake of Jesus, it is a privilege. It is a privilege that we are called to share with others, and it means that we will suffer. It means that things will not always be easy. Many of us today, we don't suffer for the gospel per se. We're not suffering in the ways that the people in Philippians were. But Paul's charge to us still is to live our lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. His appeal, it calls us to a faith that is public. It is not private and individual. It is something that we share and that causes us to act. It is not a stagnant faith. We do not serve a stagnant God. We serve a God who is always moving so the question is, how will others meet Jesus through you? How will others see that you are living a life that is worthy of the gospel? It is an encouragement. It is a call. It is not an easy one. But it is one that we can do together as a community. When it feels hard to remember that we are surrounded by this community of people who are following Jesus, that lightens the load a bit, I think. I think that there is hope in these encouragements. There is hope in the reminder that Christ is at the center and that we are called to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. But there is tension in it too, right? That's a part of life, as we talked about earlier, this tension. The work that we are called to it does require risk. It requires us to live outside of our comfort zones. It requires the building of gospel friendships, advocating for the oppressed, sacrificing for the good of others, loving our enemies. It is work that through co-laboring, co-working together and with Christ, we can do. Even in times of tension and suffering, in liminal spaces, we can draw near to Jesus and know that Jesus is drawing near to us too. Draw near to one another, friends. Share stories of God's rescue in your life. Share silly, stupid stories. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. These things will enable us to do the work that we are called to. It will ena enable us to be excited about life together, to be excited to be united with one another, and to stand with those who are suffering. I will leave you with these words from Paul. And this is the message version again. And this reminder to rejoice, even in this, even in, in some heaviness and sadness and tension. Paul says, and I am going to keep that celebration going because I know how it's going to turn out through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. Amen.